today on Building in Faith with Pastor Ed Jones. Building in Faith What James is saying, he's speaking to the church and he's saying, here's a mission. Brothers, not just preacher, not just pastor, not just deacons, deaconesses, elders, brothers, the whole body. Be involved in this ministry of reconciliation. Be involved in this ministry of going after the wanderer, the person who is turned away from God. Reaching up high with arms open wide we see You're changing our lives so we can be our heads and Christians were not meant to sit on the sidelines. We were meant to run the race that God has set before us and get into the game. In today's message, Pastor Ed admonishes those who are passive in their faith to join in on accomplishing the Great Commission. Believers that are not actively serving the Lord are at the most risk of backsliding. It is therefore the job of every believer to encourage those that have begun to slip in their faith so as to help restore the backslider's relationship with Jesus. Now here's Pastor Ed with today's edition of Building in Faith. people who know the power of the Holy Spirit, who know the presence of God and the Word of God, ever get involved with the cults. Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, just study their history. You know that they're an aberration. You know that they're not in the truth. You know, I, I, I wonder how people, forgive me, I know it happens but I still can't understand it. When you get saved and filled with the Spirit and God touches your life, how in the world do you go back to a dead church? How in the world do you go back into a church where the leadership isn't even saved and they're so surrounded by wrong doctrines? We're told to give heed that we don't wander from the truth. Paul the Apostle speaking in 1 Timothy 4.16 says to Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. We cannot discard doctrine, theology. It's important. I hope you know what you believe and why you believe it. I hope you know the scriptures and know what the Bible teaches. So much of what is out there isn't theology from the Bible. It's more the sociological attitudes of our nation. When I hear some gospel preaching that poses as gospel preaching, they're just talking from the culture. They're not really talking the Bible. Know the book. Learn the book. Spend time in the scriptures because you'll be wandering from the truth. There was a Presbyterian couple and they've noted that in churches more and more baptisms, uh, there's less and less baptisms. Less and less people are being water baptized. 
And so there's an internet uh, site called CeremonyWay.com. Don't go to it, but anyway. <laughs> and so they want to have a baptism for their children, but they don't want it to be, you know, too narrow. So uh, their idea is we just do Christianity light. L-I-T. You know, Christianity light. L-I-T. The idea is uh, we don't want that heavy stuff. And so here's what they feel. We believe in angels and fairies and leprechauns and Santa Claus. And I guess they put Jesus in there too. We just want some higher being to guide our children. Watch out. Watch out. But that's the attitude. That doctrine doesn't matter. It does matter. It does matter. Study the scriptures, the Bible tells us, to be very careful that we hold on to the truth. Now, truth and life are knit together. You can't just have doctrine without it impacting the way you live. Now, some people intellectually just have some sort of mental gymnastic games with theology. Oh, they know the Bible, but it hasn't changed their life. But when you really know the truth, the truth is meant to change your life. Amen. In Titus 1.1, it says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Wow. The knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. To know the truth changes your life. To know the word changes you on the inside. How is it that people so deceive themselves to think, oh, I'm the exception. I'm the exception. Yeah, yeah, I know the Bible says this, but God makes an exception for me. You, you should know my circumstances. You should know my background. You should know where I've been and where I've come from. Uh, so I, don't deceive yourself. What a man sows, he reaps. We have to be so very careful that truth will lead to godliness because that's intertwined. It's together. To be a godly man is to know the truth. To know the truth will set you free so that you can be a man or a woman of God. There's a fearful verse inscribed in the book of Corinthians. It should put holy fear in each of our hearts. Listen to the text. 1 Corinthians 9, 27. This is Paul speaking. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Wow, that's Paul the apostle speaking. Leave that verse up for a moment. I myself should be a castaway. What Paul was saying after I've preached, after I've taught, after I've had all these revelations from God, after I've written the inspired word of God, I still can be a castaway. Lost. Eternally lost. How many of you here knew, know, someone who once preached from a podium and a pulpit in the church and that person no longer is serving God? I could think of ministers that I've known over the years that once knew God and loved Him and then walked away from God and involved in horrible, terrible sin and deny the Savior that once called them out of darkness into light. 
And you can think of people in the church that once zealously testified of Christ, once zealously witnessed to others, but now they're no longer walking with God. Paul the apostle says, I myself could be a castaway, so I bring into subjection my body. In other words, I discipline myself. It's hard to do that. Sometimes you've got to turn your eyes away from that television set. Sometimes you've got to willfully decide not to hang out with that crowd that will pull you down. Sometimes you have to say, listen, I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like getting up, but you get up and you go to church. I don't feel like praying, but I'm going to pray. Amen. I remember my heart being ripped out when I read a beautiful letter from a young girl, a teenager. She loved the Lord. Sister Eichelberger's granddaughter. And this young girl wrote her love letter to Jesus. She went far away from God, living in all sorts of sin. Don't take for granted your devotion to God, your love for God. If that fire goes down, it becomes very difficult sometimes to bring it back. Hello? Really, sometimes people take for granted a devotion to God. Oh, they say, oh, I've always loved God. i got to go to church. Believe me, you stop, start getting out of the habit of going to church. You miss a few Sundays. Ah, nobody called me. They don't like me there. I, I walked in the church, and the deacon didn't even look at me. And the pastor didn't even notice I was there. And before you know it, you're making more and more excuses why you shouldn't be in the fellowship of the saints. James knew what he was talking about when he gave us this counsel. Uh, Look at the plight of the backslider. Uh, We've looked somewhat of the path. Look at the plight. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back. Notice what it says, someone should bring him back. It is so difficult when a person begins to go away from God to come back on their own. I'm telling you, it is hard. They get, as it were, in the sloth of the spawn. That's a phrase used in Pilgrim's Progress. And, and they can't get out of it. It's, it's They're stuck in it. Because all of a sudden, they begin to see negatively. They begin to see without a proper perspective. They lose a balance, as it were. The backslider cannot see his own folly. He begins to blame everybody else. In the garden, Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. And what happens when a person begins to move away from God, suddenly their thinking becomes clouded. They begin to blame God about this, and they blame other Christians about that, and and they play the blame game, and they begin pointing fingers at everybody else. The backslider cannot see his own folly. They begin to think, wait a minute, I still love God. I still pray to God. I still talk to God. So does the Buddhist. So does the Muslim. Jesus said, if you're my friends, you'll keep my commandments. I still remember one day going into the hospital. And there this woman was. She was living in terrible adultery. And she began to talk to me about God. And I said, listen, maybe you need to get it right with him. She thought everything was okay. I could still remember one man. He's 
found out that I was a Christian, I was newly saved, he came up to me, and he said, I heard you're a Christian. I said, oh, yeah. He said, I am too. I said, oh, I never knew you were a Christian. I knew, had known him for years, and I said, I didn't know you were a Christian. Oh, I said, yeah, yeah. He said, in fact, I was just witnessing to someone the other day. I said, oh, tell me about it. He said, well, after we had sex, I told her about the gospel. I'm telling you, a backslider cannot see his own folly. They're blind to what they're doing. Now, not only can a backslider not see his own folly, but a backslider needs someone to help them. You need the help of other people because you need someone to take you by the hand and say, come forward. You need somebody to lift you up and say, we're going to go on and serve God. And, and so what James is saying He's speaking to the church, and he's saying, here's a mission. Brothers, not just preacher, not just pastor, not just deacons, deaconesses, elders, brothers, the whole body. Be involved in this ministry of reconciliation. Be involved in this ministry of going after the wanderer, the person who is turned away from God. Uh, let's look. At the last point, and briefly, the restoration of the backslider, the restoration. Verse 20, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. What a powerful passage to end the book on. James has been upfront with us, confronting us with our sins. And now he tells us that we're to confront one another. But look at the process of restoring a backslider. I want to just talk briefly and go to Galatians. It's on the screen, the verse, but Galatians 6.1, Paul's speaking about a very similar situation. Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, notice it's a web. He's talking about believers. Someone is caught in sin. You who are spiritual should restore him gently. Notice you who are what? Spiritual. Listen, carnal person winds up talking a carnal language, and you're not going to help anybody that's not saved. That's right. You have to be a spiritual person, a person that's walking in the Spirit, living with God, serving God. And if you're trying to serve God, and I don't mean you have everything all together, you're exactly perfect, I'm not referring to that, but if you're a spiritual person, you love God, and you have a walk with God, and your life is right with God, he says, you that are spiritual, why does he say that? Because if you're carnal, you'll be drawn into another person's carnality. Yeah. I heard about a Christian man went to talk to some other lady who was involved in adultery. She was committing adultery on her husband. And before he knew it, he was involved with her. There has to be a sense of spirituality. And so he says, brothers, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Who is the most sensitive person in the church? Oftentimes, not exclusively, the person furthest from God. Hear what I'm saying? The person who is furthest from God, who's in a backslidden state, who is wandering, as it were, away from God, they will be exceedingly sensitive. Oh, you go and talk to them, an orbit you got to watch every word you say because you offend them. Even your presence offends them. Your presence is a rebuke sometimes because you represent God. So Paul tells us, make sure you be gentle with them. 
because people in that state are so fragile. They read everything into situations. And then I put down, because I believe the verse has this idea of humility as well, a proud person, proud person, you shouldn't be doing that. How long have you been saved? You shouldn't be living like that. You should be more like me. <laughs> no, no, you, you got to come with humility, recognizing that we all have feet of clay, that we could be in the same situation as they are. There has to be this sense of awareness that we are frail as well as they. And so this sense of humility impulses, lest we be tempted. You know, you wind up going to have a judgmental attitude or somebody else, God's going to tempt you in the same area. Yes. Not always, but often. You go and look down at somebody else and say, oh, hey, God will show you your faults and frailties. You should do it lovingly. Now, let me just take a verse and turn it around for you a little. The Bible says, speak the truth in love. I want you to just stop and pause and think about that. Some people are good at speaking the truth. Man, you're a mess. You, you need to get it together, brother. You need to shape up or ship out, you know. I mean, they'll speak the truth. May I suggest that you take that verse and put lovingly first? Because if a person knows you love them, they'll hear you. Right? So if you first have a relationship with them, and they know you're concerned about them, and they know that you care, you could say a lot more as you're loving with them and you say, you know, brother, I understand. I, I, and they sense that you really, really care. So put lovingly and then give them some truth. But be careful the doses of truth that you give them. You know what I mean? Some of them can't handle it all at once, you know? Uh, but you've got to work with people. Help them get back. And that's what Paul is saying. And prayerfully, how many parents are here and they're praying for a strange son or daughter? I mean, they are praying, God, bring my child back to you. How many spouses are here, and they're praying for their spouse? Lord, bring them back. Bring them back. Doesn't James, in the preceding verses, say, pray for one another? And then he says, confess your faults to one another. See, if we keep on confessing our faults to another. We keep a short account with God and we are open with others. You know, we bring those things that are in the dark out into the light and say, listen, I want to get rid of this garbage and, and, and you, you're walking like that. You know what's going to happen? You're going to progress in the things of God. And if there's a transparency about you, people will be transparent with you. So the process of restoring a backslider, use humility, speak lovingly and... and prayerfully and, and gently and lastly and as we bring the message to a close the blessing of restoring the backslider think of this what does the text say it says whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death evangelism needs to take place in the church just not only outside the church it needs to take place inside the parameters of the Christian body of Christ because there are some in here that unless their lives change, they're not going to make heaven because they've been wandering from God. They're here out of ritual, routine, but not out of... And they're allowing things in their lives that they never allowed before. What we're told is we will save a person from death 
their name will be retained in the book of life. They'll save them from a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins, Proverbs tells us. When we show grace and mercy, and when we bring a person back, those sins are covered. They're never going to be remembered in the day of judgment. They're never going to be brought up for all the world to see. And in a very real way, some commentators look at this verse and they talk about the person reaching out, how that's also a blessing to them because God will hold us accountable for one another. That we go after the wanderer. We go after the person that's strained. He was an apostle of thunder. I mean, he was ready to call down fire on the Samaritans. Anybody that turned away from Jesus or didn't stay with their group, he was ready to call down judgment. But he spent time leaning on the bosom of Jesus, and he heard the heartbeat of the Master And John, the son of thunder, became John, the apostle of love. Near the end of John, the apostle's life, a story is told. This older man would travel from congregation to congregation. He was in Ephesus a great deal of his time, but he would go from church to church. And there was one young convert that he saw the hand of God upon. And so he encouraged that convert And he connected him with the pastor in the church there. And he went away for a period of time on his travels. And he came back to that congregation. And he asked, where is that man? Well, he's dead to God now. He's up in the hills near the church. He's with a band of robbers. In fact, he's become the captain of those robbers. He's dead to God. John was grieved. What John actually did was took some money. He went on the road where the robbers would frequent and they would attack people. So this old apostle, the apostle John, on the road began traveling and sure enough, this band of robbers came down on him and he said, bring me to your captain. Bring me to him. And they said, okay. So they brought him to this young convert who had backslidden. As soon as he saw the apostle John, he began to run fearful. And John yelled out to him, stop, I'm your father. Christ has sent me. And the man stopped and turned around and began weeping. John restored this convert, brought him back to the church and stayed there with him until he was established. John the Apostle Live what James was talking about. Think back with me now. Is it a son? Is it a daughter? Is it a friend? Is it a neighbor? They once worshipped beside you. Hands lifted up. But now, they no longer worship. They no longer serve the God that you love. Now, you may tell them that, but they don't see it. Because their eyes are blinded can't see. They need your hand to help them. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? These words from the book of James could lead one to believe that we must earn our salvation by good works. Pastor Ed will tackle this difficult subject 
and more as he teaches through the book of James. We'll learn that works are the result of faith, not the other way around. Although building in faith is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. If not, we'd like to invite you to join us at Faith Assembly for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to buildinginfaithradio.com and follow the link to Faith Assembly. Or feel free to give us a call at 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to Building in Faith with Dr. Edward Jones. Please join us next time as Pastor Ed continues teaching through his series, Through the Book of James, right here on Building in Faith. Everybody wins when a leader gets better. Absolutely everyone. The stakes of leadership are sky high. Everyone has influence. Come to the Global Leadership Summit on August 10th and 11th and learn skills to help you lead transformation in your community. The summit features leaders like Bill Hybels, Sheryl Sandberg, Andy Stanley, and more. Experience the summit at Faith Assembly, Casper Kill Campus, Poughkeepsie, August 10th and 11th. Register at willowcreek.com summit and use the priority code radio, willowcreek.com summit.